the worship was awesome. Thank you. And we was really glad to have Mr. Snyder up here. He's really great. Yeah, he's, he did a great job. Is he still here or did he leave? Where's Seth at? He's, oh, he's in the back. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you this then, since you're here. Because I had a dream about you last night. And in the dream, you looked the way you looked this morning. And I saw this darkness behind you. And that's what the Lord's saying to you. It's behind you. And I didn't know you was leading worship with Jacob this morning, so that the Lord was really wanting to help help you. Thank you, Lord. All righty. This is great. Thank you, Dean, for that amazing picture that you've given us of what the Lord's doing in the earth. It really makes you want to take advantage of today, of what's happening in the earth today. Take advantage of all that God's doing. You know, I didn't... You don't think that those dates ever coincide. Like, it's just... We're definitely in a strategic moment in the earth. Father, we want to pray, Lord, for the persecuted church today. We pray for those uh, people all over the world who are being persecuted, uh, many nations that persecute Christians. Uh, And we're uh, especially remembering those who have been affected by this European clash between Russia and Ukraine and the Christians who who have fled and those who have fled over in Iraq, Lord, we pray for them, along with our brothers in China, Korea, North Korea, Asia, uh, all that whole area over there, Lord. We pray for them this morning. We pray, Lord, that the Word of God would accomplish all that it is intended in their lives, and that that message that comes from that, those people would reach our ears. Not the message, necessarily the message they are persecuted, but the message that the persecution will release in the earth. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Uh, I wanted to read just a couple of verses here. Um, I've been reading this story about, in, in John 2, about uh, when Jesus turned water into wine uh, for a few months because I felt like the Lord wanted to speak to me uh, out of it. And there's a lot in it. But I'm going to just focus on uh, the stories in John 2, um, 1 through 11. That's really the first miracle that Jesus did that John recorded in the Gospel of John, which he called the first sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee that manifested his glories, his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And it was where he took a water that was... And turn it into wine. And the Lord, I wanted to tell you this. This is kind of a little bit of a story. Uh, the Lord spoke to me and told me uh, that He was a winemaker. That's what He told me. He, he told me that He makes wine, and He showed me how He made wine. And He told me to tell you about it, about how He makes wine. Okay? And so... First, let me say this. Um, There's a parable in Luke 10 called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Most of you are familiar with that story. It is when uh, a man was going down the Jericho Road, and he fell into hands of robbers. 
And they beat him really bad, beat him to the inch of his life, stripped him completely naked, and left him to die on the side of the road. And, you know, I think a priest came by, a Levite came by, you know, avoided him and kept going. And then it said a Samaritan came by and took the man. It says he poured in the oil and the wine to heal the man of his wounds. And so God uses oil and God uses wine in the Bible to heal, okay? Not for people to get drunk on, but people do get intoxicated on the wine of the Spirit. Oil and wine in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus sweated drops of blood and because He was un- under such pressure. And that was where... Gethsemane literally means oil, oil press. And so oil, the way God makes oil, anointing oil, is He doesn't make that with olive oil or olives. He makes it by putting a person in a press under extreme pressure. And that's why later when a man looked at, in the book of Acts at Peter doing miracles and said in releasing the gift of tongues to people and said, I want to buy that ability. And Peter said, let your, your money can perish with you. Okay? Your money can perish with you because you can't buy the gift of God. You can't buy something that's precious. And so the way God anoints people is God puts people in presses. Okay? Extreme pressure. A place where you have to come to a decision in your life. Like Jesus had to come to a decision in the Garden of Gethsemane. The decision was, I don't want to do this, but not my will, Father, your will. And that was where the anointing was first released in the earth when he said that. That was where the anointing broke, broke forth. That's pretty powerful. But it's not fun to live in, is it? It's not fun. Most Christians run from Gethsemane. And, but you'll never come into the anointing. So that's how God makes the anointing in a person's life. Any person who has a real anointing from God, you know they've been in Gethsemane. You know they've been in a place that was incredible pressure in their life. And they came to a place of brokenness. And they came to a place of surrender. You can't buy the anointing. You can't even get the anointing from other people. People can pray for you. People can encourage you. Well, let me tell you about the, the, the way God makes wine. He doesn't use grapes. He uses crushing situations in people's lives to make wine. Isn't God just really wonderful the way He creates these awesome things? I want to read this, this story. It's a very short story. Uh, it's written by a name by by a person whose name is Dr. Guy Chevreau. Not Guy like in Guy DeFranco. He can, pronounces his name Guy because he comes from Canada. And you know how Canadians are. <laughs> he is a philosopher. He's a theologian. And he's a Holy Ghost revivalist. Pretty good combination guy. Well, this is a little story 
when he saw the most impoverished church in the world. Okay, this is what he said when he saw this church for the first time. He said this, On arriving in East Bank, Maui, I looked around, I looked around at those who had gathered at the conference we were hosting. Many had walked for days to be there. Most had not eaten anything but grass and leaves for months. Their clothes were in tatters. I knew I had to preach in less than an hour. As I thought of the sermon notes that I had prepared, I blinked back my tears and could not help but say out loud, This is the crucible of irrelevance. This is the crucible of irrelevance. He was talking about his sermon notes. Because what he had and what he saw devastated him. And I thought, you know, have you ever just read something like that in your life and when you read it, it just knocked you to your knees and you didn't know why? It just stunned me when I read it. I just like, Lord, what in the world? And I could not get that out of my mind. And I, there were there were pictures of these people, and I would look at these pictures. I would look at this and think. I, I looked at it and thought about it for a couple of years. I would go back and look at these people, these pictures of these people, and I would put myself into that man's shoes and try to imagine what I would say. I would just go over what would I say, what would I what would I would said to them, and I could never really feel like I could come up with anything that I could say. And so that went on for a couple years of my life. And I talked about it to some people. And, you know, in fact, one person said, Byron, that thing has really got a hold of you for some reason. You need to to find out what the Lord's trying to tell you. And, you know, but the Lord never answered me like the Lord is so wonderfully good at. (laughs) He ignores some questions. And so... I uh, kind of forgot about it, you know. You know, over the years, a few people wanted to know some good books to read that impacted my life. I told them about this, like, I hope they read that part. I just really do. I really hope they read that, and I hope it really messes them up. And that arrogance that's on them, where they always have the answer for everything, they always can jump up and say something because they've got something from God. I hope it just knocks their tail off their horse, you know, and they can wallow around in the mud for a while like I've been wallowing around. <laughs> and that's something that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Here's a little statement that Michelle Perry made once. People can only speak the truth when speaking in their own voice. People can only speak the truth when they're speaking in their own voice. That's what that story is about. It's about a person discovering their voice was not really their voice because at that moment their voice was worthless. Yeah. Here's something I wrote down. I'm pretty classic, right? I wrote this down one day. I may have gotten it at some of out of message, Bob. I don't remember. I believe, I said this, I believe we are most blessed when we come to those moments in our lives when our eyes are open in a way 
that strips us down to nothing. We're most blessed when our, we come to those moments in our lives when our eyes are open in a way that strips us down to nothing. It's kind of like what Jesus was saying, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's when you come to a place where you have experienced something and it devastates you because at that moment you're stripped to nothing. You, you don't have the answer. You don't have... And, and the need is so great. The circumstances are beyond anything that you have. And suddenly you don't have a voice. Suddenly you have nothing. And a lot of people have been in that place, whether you are aware of it or not. You've been in that place. Parents have been in that place. Many times parents have faced that, you know. There's just going to be times in all of our lives when we come to a place where we're, we're stripped down. Well, if you don't know me very well, don't think I'm crazy, okay, because I'm really not. But what happened was the Father took me to heaven and he set me down beside him. I'm already in heaven. You are too. We're just not always aware of it. Sometimes he gives us little glimpses. And he set me down beside him. And he said, I want to show you something. And he began to show me scenes from my life. Okay? These were devastating scenes from my life. Several of them he went through, and he commented on those scenes. He told me and showed me, this, this is where I was at. This is what I think about that. This is why that person said that. This is why that person did that. And he went through several of them. Then he came to a particular scene, and it was my reality. I realized at that moment, oh, well, oh, I forgot to tell you this. I forgot about that story about the Geisha Rose thing for years until I went to bed Monday night. I started thinking about it. I thought, well, that's really weird. I hadn't thought about that in years. I wonder what you're saying to me, Lord. Then I went to sleep. Okay. Well, the next day when I was awake is when I had this, this amazing vision. He brought me to a scene. All right, you back with me now. He brought me to a scene, and here was the scene. You know, when you do a funeral for people, um, part, of the, part of what they do is normally is they have a fa- the whole family in another room. And in this room... Uh, you know, they keep the family waiting because most time the family comes in at the end and they have a special place for them to sit, right? You know what I'm talking about. And what they want the pastor to do who's doing the funeral is they want them to go down there and talk to the family and walk in with the family, okay? So we were doing this funeral and 
It was the worst place I have ever been in my entire life. And it was like, I don't want to do this funeral, Lord. In fact, I don't think it's fair that they, there even is this funeral. And so I thought, I'm, not, I'm just hoping these funeral guys will not ask me to go down there and be with the family. So I'm just going to go sit at the front. In fact, if they don't want me to, they're going to have to come get me. They can walk with the family in, you know, it'll be good, you know. And so it was time for the family to come in, and the guy comes and gets me. <laughs> like, Lord, help. And so we, I walk down there with them, and I walk in into the room where the family was. It was, I think it was downstairs in this church building. And I walked in, and they were all, their backs were all to me, sitting there. And it was like a bomb had went off in that room. And there was, there was like just, it was the worst place there was on earth at that moment as far as I was concerned. Because everybody in that room were, were absolutely devastated. They, they were devastated beyond measure. There were grandparents in that room. There were parents. There were sisters. There was wives. There was children, there were cousins, there was friends. And I was well, stood at the back of the room and Lord, I, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say at this moment. Nothing. I don't want to do this. But you know, I didn't really have a choice. And so I walked to the front, you know, and looked at all these people because I was, I was devastated with them. And tried to say something. You know, basically what I said was kind of ridiculous. I just said, well, you know, I'm going to pray and whatever you want to do in there, do whatever you want to do. If you want to wail on the floor, it's just... You have, don't worry about what anybody else is saying or thinking. He's, you can do what you want to do, and we'll change. And I prayed for him and walked out with them and went to the front of the church. And, you know, the service started, and they were in there. They brought their the bombshell in the room with them. And I looked down in the congregation and I saw some of the men and some of the older men, the fathers, the, like I would be see the fathers in this church, weeping like babies. And when I saw them, it was like the old men are devastated. The old men. The ones that you know you can go to if you need help. Right? The ones that are they've been around, they've been through terrible things, they've they've got they were devastated, they were weeping. And I thought, Lord, what in the world are we gonna do? What in the world? Why are we in this place? And it was at that moment 
although I didn't, wasn't really conscious of it until the other day, that I realized that place was my crucible of irrelevance because I knew that I didn't have the answers for that family that they desperately needed, and I didn't have the answers for those old men sitting in there weeping, and those old men didn't have the answers. There was nobody in that room had had the answer. Nobody had anything. We were all, whether we realized or not, we were all we were all irrelevant. We all did not have a voice in that moment. Sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? So what the Lord said to me when he showed me that he said I want to show you something that's what he said to me and he took me to a room and in that room I saw all these bottles and he said this is the wine room that's what he said to me this is the wine room and he said you know all those tears them old men were shedding all those tears those families were shedding those tears you were shedding, he said, he went and he put his finger on a bottle and he said, this is Angel's bottle. He put a, you hear me? He put his finger on a bottle. He said, this is your bottle. Put one on your bottle. Put one on yours, John. It's yours one of those old men weeping. And he said, this is how I make wine. That's what he said. This is how I make wine. So I make wine out of water. And I get my water from your tears. He said, when Jesus made that water out of that wine, that that that, that wedding... He was prophesying about what would come. He was prophesying all the tears people would shed and all the sorrow that people would face. That's why that wine was the best wine. See, he don't crush grapes, he crushes people. Life crushes people. Sorrows crushes people. Y'all right? No. <laughs> he gave me the... Listen, let me read the scriptures. I, I actually use Marlin's translation here, New Living Translation. Psalm 56. You keep track of all my sorrows. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. You know what he said to me? 
He said, when you're crying, I'm writing. When you're crying, I'm writing in my book. When you're crying, I'm writing. There's not one tear that drops from your face out of sorrow, out of crushing, that I'm not keeping a record, a detailed record of. Verse 9 is powerful. It says, My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. Isn't that beautiful? This I know. God is on my side. Now, verse 9 is, collect, is connected to verse 8. He showed me a few other bottles in there. That was Matt Stewart's funeral, by the way. Just so you know, I figure some of you know what. If you didn't know, Matt Stewart, is, he was a young man in this church. He was brutally murdered. And that was our crucible of irrelevance. You see, what happens in the crucible of irrelevance is this is where you're going to find your voice. Because all those tears you shed in that moment is creating a bottle full of tears that one day God is going to take that bottle. You see, here's interesting. When they got that water from those pots there at that wedding, and poured it in to whatever they poured it into, and took it to the person, it was water. It only became wine when the man tasted it. You see, that's where your voice is really going to be found, is when you can release the thing in you at that place. It's going to be water in you until the moment comes when you walk into a situation and you have something deep in you that God worked in you when He cru- you were crushed in that moment. That should be exciting, right? Because you'll have the best wine to offer people. The best wine. Well, he, the Lord showed me another bottle in there. He was really excited about this bottle. He said, oh, this... This is a great vintage here. He pulled it down and he read the label to me. August 2012, vintage. The day the roof fell in, vintage. That's what he said to me. The day the roof fell in. You know what Becky and I did that day when we went home? We went home and we cried like babies. Not because of the roof. Because we said this to God, Lord, this church is not ours. It's your church. And Lord, if we're done, if you're saying it's over for us, we're good. We're good. We said it through many tears. We're good, Lord. We'll do whatever you want to with our lives. We'll go on. We can walk away from this. We can do something else with our life. That's really what God looks for. That's, how, that's the kind of tears He can use. Then He showed me a really special bottle. In this room, it was kind of a narrow room. It was a, you know, shelf after shelf of bottles. And then at the very end, though, there was a bottle that was setting higher. And there was no other bottles under it. Well, there was other bottles under it, but there was no other bottles next to it. And it was a special bottle. And he pointed that bottle out to me and said, that's my a special bottle. This is interesting about that bottle. It looked like a bottle that a child would have. 
it was colorful. It was colorful like what a child would put on a bottle. And he said, in that bottle are the tears of my son. That's what he said to me. He said, on Pentecost, I poured some of those tears on the earth. And that's what Pentecost was all about. That's when I poured a little bit of that. He said, one day I'm going to pour every bit of that out. Let me tell you something. That is not wrath. That is love. That is grace. That is mercy. That is God's glory being released in the earth. I don't know where his wrath comes. He didn't talk to me about that. That's something other bodies, somebody else's deal. But I'm telling you, that is the day of Pentecost was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so, the Lord told me to tell y'all about this. And y'all also, you know, wants to know, you to know that he's recorded your sorrows. He wrote them down. And He wants you to know that what you've gone through, He hasn't neglected. He wants people to know that everybody handles grief differently. Everybody does. And He wants you to know the way you've handled your grief, He's given you a way to handle it. But... Some of us had to be careful about the way we handle our grief. And this is what he told me. He said, this is the way, Byron, you handle your grief. This is the way you handle sorrow. You're like a soldier. You buckle down and you just go, go, go. But when the fight's over, it's like you get this post-traumatic syndrome thing working on you. Is you get messed up when everything's done. Everybody else is getting okay. You're not okay. Because you never stopped in the middle of what was going on and let me minister to your heart and heal you and speak to your heart because you were so, you're so focused to get through it. And you can be a little rough on people <laughs> during the process. Like, get with it. There's a war to be won. We don't have time to cry. That's what he told me. But I think some of you, you kind of, need to be freed this morning from what you've gone through. I think the Lord wants to talk to you and so you can know that those tears are in heaven with the Lord. And He's got this awesome wine He's going to offer one day through you. But the key is you've got to let Him. You gotta let him. You can't. You can't be bitter. You can't be hard-hearted about what the, the sorrow you've gone through in your life. You, you gotta let there. You had to come to a place of reconciliation. You gotta have to come to a place where where you move on. And I don't think everybody in this room. I think a lot of people have, but. I know some of you have not handled things well. And the Lord said, okay, it's all right. But now, I want to take you on. It's time to go on. It's not time to stay where you've been. 
it's not time to stay. And if you're offended or hurt, and offended at God, offended at somebody, you know, it's like he's saying, this, I understand that, but it's time to come on. Otherwise, that those tears, they'll sit in that bottle in heaven and get, and get collect dust for the next million years. And they will never, never be able to be released and all the good that God intended out of our sorrows will never have been ever to be released on the earth and other people's lives magnificently touched like we were magnificently touched by the tears of Christ. So, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you this morning that you, there's nothing you've recorded at all Mm. every sorrow, Lord, every, every difficult thing we've gone through in our life, every disappointment, every hurt, Lord, every time we have walked into a situation where we were just dumbfounded by the, by the need, by the, where we just felt we were just empty, Lord. We found ourselves totally empty of anything to say, Lord, or anything that we could do, Lord. Lord, we thank you today that you're right there. We thank you that you are keeping detailed notes and that you nothing there's nothing that happens to you ladies and gentlemen there's nothing that has happened in your life that God has not looked at and thought about and he has even wept over those things because you'll one day look at the story of your life in heaven and you'll look at pages with tear stains on And it will be God's tears that He's wept with you. He wept with you in your moment of feeling deserted and alone and abandoned. His tears are mixed with your tears. And God wants to heal you today and free you today. I pray that for you today. I pray that for your hearts. I pray your hearts would be healed. I pray that you would feel God in heaven, the Father, reach down into your life today and touch you, and touch you as only He can touch you. I just pray that for you. I pray, Lord, do that for every person in this room. Lord, Because, Lord, I believe you want to release wine on this earth, Lord. I believe this earth is starving for real wine. I believe this earth is starving for the wine of heaven, the stored in heaven, and those bottles, Lord. And, Lord, I pray for that beautiful childlike bottle that's sitting up there. I pray, Lord, that we would get a taste of that wine. Father, I pray that, a taste of of Jesus' wine. Lord, thank you so much. For this morning, if we could get the ministry team to come up here, and if you feel like you want prayer, number one, about anything, number two, about deliverance, and number, yeah, that's, yeah, deliverance, yeah, addictions, and about any of this, if you want somebody to pray for you about what I shared, I believe many of you in this room need to have a breakthrough this morning and can have a breakthrough because I believe God wants to bring a breakthrough in your life today and free you.
from the sorrow. So I just encourage you to come. Lord bless you. Lord keep you. Hey, let's really focus on um, what the... Well, if you lived up north, they called it Holy Week. Uh, yeah. I was in a meeting one time back when in my engineer days, and we were talking about scheduling a meeting. They said, you can't do that because that's Holy Week. I said, what? What the heck is Holy Week? It's before I really realized that people up north talk different than people in the south. Like, oh, you're talking about Easter, man. Okay, yeah, I'm getting, yeah, we don't want to do that around Easter. <laughs> I didn't know people celebrate the whole week, though. Lord, we want to celebrate the whole week. This is a special week for us, Lord. We're going we're gonna to celebrate life. We're going to celebrate. The Lord wants, hey, you know, God's happy. He was really, really joyful through this whole thing with me. It was like he was just a happy God. He was, you know, he, he really has a sense of humor and he's lighthearted and he's not heavy and burdened about the world. He, I mean, that's the way he was. He was like, he's just this fun guy that you'd want to be, a, be around. Everything he says has life on it and life in it. It's just, it's just amazing. I just, Lord, let people in this room have an encounter like that with you where they would see, God, that you're so happy and excited about us, about us. You were thrilled to set me down beside you. You wanted me right there. I want to show you something. And he was excited. And he wants to show everybody in this room something. He's excited about you. You know, you're His reward. You are. You're His reward. Think about yourself. I'm God's reward. When what Jesus suffered, he, you're the reward of His suffering. I really encourage you with that this morning to believe that about yourself. See that you're the reward of the Lord. Boy, oh boy. When the, and then when the devil comes trotting up to you and he starts running his mouth, you have a weapon against him. It's called the joy of the Lord. And he can't, he can't stand against it. So I bless you in Jesus' name.